I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Today is Monday, April 20, 2020. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? We actually have a lot of stuff on the docket today. We're going to get granular in some prices as it relates to the S&P 500. We're going to look at some intraday charts. We're going to look at some patterns on intraday charts. We're going to look to see where the support areas are, where the resistance areas are on those same intraday charts. We're going to have some takeaway learning opportunities. In addition, we're also going to have a brief discussion on a conspiracy theory. I'm not sure what number we're up to. Maybe it's 5 or 6.0, but we're going to have a conspiracy theory discussion. What's it going to be coupled with? Well, in a roundabout way, we're going to couple it with crude oil. Crude oil is the talk of the town today. It went negative $35 or some ridiculous number. Actually, while I look at it now, it's negative 42 and change. So either way, we'll take a look at the May contract of crude oil and discuss a little bit about what happened with crude oil, why it can trade negative, and what's likely to happen going forward. Let's start with the big picture on the SPY daily chart What jumps off the page at me? What's the first item that jumps off the chart? How about into the 50-period moving average, not able to close above for the second day? They closed above it once on Friday, not able to close above it or have a follow-through day. We tested near the highs from Friday. However, we were rejected at those highs. And where does price come to? And this jumps off the chart at me because I have a important number on the page at 281 so we came down to at least run a test of 281 we'll talk more about that when we get to the intraday charts first i want to point something out that i think is rather neat it kind of goes maybe in the bucket of shenanigans maybe in the bucket of the numbers are important time is important Closing prices are important, and I want to show you a little something, and then we'll see where we are tomorrow. Let's talk 281. Let's go down to a very short time frame, five-minute chart. The five-minute chart is in a downtrend, but they hovered above, never reaching during the trading day, 281. You'll notice as I make this video, they're below 281. You can see it on the top of the screen. The bid is 280.90 against an ask or offer of 280.93. So they're below 281. However, let's go to the after hours activity showing it on the chart and let's take a look at what happened after the market closed at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. For about 10 minutes, it traded below 281. Then, miraculously, as we approach what is an important close, which is the 415 futures close, Not necessarily the most important close. However, it is a close, and I'm watching it. It is important. Here's a one-minute chart, and you can see what happened as we get into or close to the 415 close. I'm not sure price traded all the way up here at 281.68, but nevertheless, look what happens at 16.14, which is 4.14 in the afternoon. You can see where they're fighting to stay above or get below 
281. And then on the 415 close, the closing price, 280.92. And you can see where they're trading out now, staying below 281. So my contention is, and we've been discussing 281 for quite some time which is why i bring this up and why i wanted to drill down so you can see what happens intraday even after the close as we get to these important numbers when price trades around these important numbers they're in fact important going back to the daily chart knowing that 281 is important we knew it was important before we've been watching 281 for quite some time we've been discussing 281 here we are again around 281. So what do we know about this? Tuesday morning, if the market opens above 281, probably the bulls have the ball. If the market opens below 281, regardless of how much below 281, it's likely the bears have the ball. Now inside the numbers, members will have specific and real-time commentary to that effect. And of course, they'll have it right out of the chute. But here the night before, 281 is important. Now, what's slightly below 281 is a gap. So here's a gap that comes in, and we'll just call it 279 for argument's sake. It's give or take on either side. Here's a question. Can the market get below 281, come all the way down to 279, which really isn't that far away, and really have nothing happen, meaning it stays in the same position that it is or that it was? And the answer is, yes, it can. Let me explain. First, let's pinpoint that 279 and let's go down to some shorter time frames to take a look at where that really puts the market from a different perspective. Looking at an hourly chart, you can see that it's right below a 50 period moving average, filling the gap. We know about the gap. All this consolidation is what? It happened before the market broke to the upside. So what's the market coming back to do as far as the hourly chart is concerned? Fill a gap and come back to test a former breakout area. Where exactly is the breakout area? It's somewhat subjective. Maybe it's at the gap. Maybe it's slightly below the gap. Maybe they never get to the gap. I just want to point these things out. It depends on how you look at the chart. We have to be objective we're trying to be the umpire and come to the party with no bias. Show up to the locker room unbiased. Do we get a different look on the 120-minute chart? No, not really. It's the same routine. Now, what happens Tuesday morning, for argument's sake, if we wake up and the market is trading significantly below this general area? What happens if it's trading at 275 or 274 something else? Then something else is going on. And of course, inside the numbers, commentary and members will have a beat on exactly what that is, where the support areas are, or how far they're likely to fall. That's what we do. Speaking of, let's give a snapshot of inside the numbers. I'm going to run through the whole thing, and I'm going to highlight a couple of important points. Early in the morning, the objective is to get pre-prepared for both sides of the tape, the upside and the downside. We know where the support areas are. We know how the market becomes bullish by closing above or getting above certain areas. Scrolling down a little bit, you can see we're already talking about the 279 area, which is a gap we always want to be pre-prepared just in case. What traders are getting with inside the numbers is a schematic, a tour guide throughout the trading day. What about stocks on the move? 
None of the stocks on the move this morning hit their entry objectives or entry targets. And the reason is because the market caught a bid right out of the chute. What does that mean? Buy the dip crowd showed up to buy up the market as soon as the opening bell rang. When that happens, everything across the board, it's a rising tide lifts all boats scenario. So everything across the board also gets a bid, gets a lift, catches a rally. So let's go up and see what happened as the day got rolling. The first thing is, we know the routine. These are the early thoughts, and this is important to realize, because if you're not aware of this, there are a lot of traders that did what this morning? They hopped on the short side. What happened when they did that? As soon as the opening bell rang, they thought the market was going to collapse. They hop on the short side, and then they get a pie in the face. Now, we also know if they're going to continue to rise... As the morning goes on, we know where the resistance area is going to be. And if they get through one resistance area, we know where the next one is going to be. There were gaps above, and I'll continue scrolling up, and you'll see as you read the commentary, and I urge you to pause the video, read what's on the screen, start it again, and scroll along with me. Understand whether this is something you think can be helpful. What you need to do is look at the numbers, read the commentary, and go back to the charts to verify if what I'm telling you is actually right. Did I have a beat on the market? Did traders make some money this morning by hopping on the long side? And the answer is yes. Once they got above a certain spot, we knew they were going to go for the gap. Once they got above the gap, we knew where there was another gap. And guess what happened? Above that, we started eyeballing a semi-fat round number, if you will. And time is more important than price. So what you'll find is an important number on time or at an important time zone. We were looking for some kind of mid-slash-late-morning pivot that happens to come in round an important number. Now, at the time, we don't know that the market's going to go all the way back down to and through the lows of the day heading for 281. But nevertheless, we knew where that late morning resistance was likely to be. We'll call it 286 for argument's sake. Anything above, meaning closing above, even short-term candles above 286, and something else would have been going on and they would have made a run for some new fresh highs. We have no choice but to take the market in steps, one step at a time. And what I also urge you to do is look at even short-term charts. Look at some of the numbers on the screen. 283.50 is one idea that comes to mind. And then you see how the market acts and reacts around these numbers that are cited before the market gets there. It's very important if you're active at all during the trading day and interested in or trading in the ES, the SPY, or some of the exchange-traded products that correspond to the S&P 500, then you need to pay attention to some of these numbers because I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that most days we're going to have a beat on the market, we're going to have the direction of the market, we're going to have targets for the market, we're going to know if the market closes above or below certain numbers, it's bullish or bearish. Now here's one in particular. Look at 2.30 and you'll see here that I'm already citing before it took place that if in fact the bears have the ball and they're going to go lower, it's at least 10 or 20 points in the S&P they're going to hit them for into the close. Now that didn't happen yet at the time this post was made. And then my favorite trade is not necessarily a short trade into the end of the day because in light volume, which today was all things considered... 
they have a tendency to whip out the shorts over and over again. So it's not necessarily my favorite trade. However, they did come down and do the deal. They did drop pretty quickly, and I probably shouldn't have said what I said. Probably kept some traders away from the short side. But you're getting my commentary, what I believe to be the case, the highest probability case, whatever the circumstances in the market. It's not going to be right 100% of the time, but what I am going to do is keep you out of trouble the majority of the time. And just like this morning, we're going to get into a trade with a specific target. Now, if the target doesn't happen to be the high of the day and price keeps going higher, so be it. We can't worry about what we didn't get. We worry about and we're happy with what we did get. Weren't you all told that growing up? I was. Never worked. But we were all told that growing up. Let's finish out the commentary here into the end of the day. And as you can see... The focus became, as the day wore on, 281. Funny how the same numbers continue to come up over and over and over again, at least from where I sit. Now here's a number that you saw in the commentary. This is a 10-minute chart, and the number is 286. It's the fuchsia line. It's the whatever color that is line. We cited 286 before price got there. There were a couple of prices before. There were other gaps that I had my eye on before. But this was really the final line in the sand before they made an attempt to go up to Friday's highs. So before we wrap up the SPY, what do we have to say about the bull and the bear case? Bottom line, above 281, the bulls have the ball, and they can certainly push price higher. They don't have to be done on the upside. Despite what the news says, Despite what everybody else says, despite what you hear on television from the pundits, they don't have to be done. On the downside, if they come down and come to the most recent breakout area, they can do that, they can run a test, and they can go back up. We've seen this many, many times in the past. What does it look like? Well, let's give a real-life example. How about this? They run up, they come back to test. They run up, they come back to test. They run up. They come back to test. They run up and they do what? They come back to test. Now, can they come back below the test is the question. That was what we discussed before. They start getting below the lows from Friday. It's a different situation. It's a different story. But they're not doing anything they haven't done before or they don't do all the time. Put the market in perspective. Let's talk a little bit about crude oil and let's wrap a little conspiracy theory 5 or 6.0 in the mix. Here's a chart of May crude oil. The low of the day happens to be minus $40.32. How does that work? I've never seen that before. So how it works is beyond me. However, here's an hourly chart. They are rallying them, trying to get back to the zero line or par, I guess. Par is really 100, so I don't know what you call zero in the case of crude. But here's the deal. Why did this happen? How does this happen? The how part is a little beyond me. It's above my pay grade. Why it happens is pretty obvious. The May contract expires, I believe, on the 21st. Anybody holding the May contract in a long position has to take delivery of oil. Therefore, those entities, whoever they may be, oil companies... Any entity that's willing to take delivery of crude oil, and it could be plenty of manufacturers. A lot of the stuff that you and I buy is manufactured in part by using oil. 
So there's a glut of oil. Oil's been in a downtrend. The economy's come to a screeching halt because we're basically closed for business. So the price of crude falls precipitously as you get close to the end of the contract month. You have to take delivery. Where are you going to put it? Everybody's got oil up to their eyeballs. There's nowhere to put the crude oil. Here's a trivia. How many gallons of oil are actually in a barrel of oil? Obviously, you can Google the answer, so I'll give it to you. It's 42 gallons to a barrel of crude oil. So what happened? You don't have anywhere to put it. You don't want any more. You don't want delivery. You're selling the contract, and guess what? There's no buyers out there. Who's going to buy it? If you can't store it, and your neighbor can't store it, and nobody can store it, who's buying the May contract? Nobody. So here's what happened. It went below zero. You're effectively, and I don't know how this works, meaning if it could actually take place, but what the market was saying was you were going to get paid to store crude oil if you had the capacity to store it. So were there buyers of crude oil if in fact that is the case? And I really don't know whether that can actually be the case. If it was the case, yeah, there were buyers in there somewhere. Look at it now. Look at the hourly chart. It's going higher. So someone is buying. Somebody was selling. There are two sides to every single market. Pretty remarkable. Fascinating. Never saw that before. In contrast, here's the June crude oil contract, which has already been trading. It's been trading. 21 spot 40 is the price as I make this video. So where's the conspiracy theory in here? It's the beginning of a conspiracy theory, and it really starts, I think, with crude oil, and here it is. Because of the collapse in crude oil, and by the way, for those of you asking about numbers in crude oil, I get it, but there are no numbers. It's just a busted chart. It's a busted thing. There's nothing to do until it gets unbusted. When it looks like it put in a low, things will change, but right now, it's just a busted chart. There's nothing I want to do with crude oil. But that really goes in concert with what I'm going to say, which is it's a busted market, which means because of the decline in crude oil prices, there has to be corporate failures in the energy space. Are they refiners? Are they drillers? Are they explorers? They're all of the above. Anybody and anybody who was teetering before this all took place Anybody not cash flow positive and not with oodles of money in the bank, anybody riddled with debt is subject to fail. Anybody that can't refinance debt, and we've talked about all this before. So you can dig through books and find out who it is. You can look at equity prices and stuff that's a dollar, two, three. Those are the ones that are likely going to zero. You'll see hedge fund failures as a result of this. You'll hear massive margin calls as a result of this. All of the above will be true, but I want to focus on the failures of the companies in the energy space, whoever they may be when it does emerge. When does it emerge? Who knows? Maybe it emerges overnight today. Maybe it emerges later in the week. But guess what? When it does emerge, the cat's out of the bag. You'll see price go higher, not lower. Think what happened back in the financial crisis when Bear Stearns failed, when Lehman failed. Once the unknown is a known, the market looks at it as relief and it looks to the next thing. So it's either going to go up or down because the next thing is a whole lot worse than the original thing. But usually upon the failures, the market has a relief rally. In this case, crude oil. So where's the conspiracy theory in there? 
failures across the space seems evident. It seems logical. It seems like common sense. It is. But the conspiracy theory goes deeper than the energy space. It goes more widespread than that. And it really encompasses, once again, the rating agencies. Now, the rating agencies came under fire in the financial crisis because they didn't catch the mortgage bonds, the CDOs, which are collateralized debt obligations, and a whole host of other things that were traded like baseball cards in a schoolyard. So here, what we do know is the rating agencies are paid to rate companies. So they're not paid to rate companies poorly. Their only way they get paid is if they provide ratings that the company wants or likes. Otherwise, the company doesn't want to pay for the rating. It's a backward system. We can go a lot deeper. Just take my word on it. It's a scam. So if we just take the theory or the concept that most of the debt out there across the corporate debt space is rated a little bit above what it should be rated at, at best. Okay, fair enough. Let's assume it's slightly overrated. Who's the buyer of debt right now? Is it mom and pop? Is it mutual funds, pension funds? Some, yes, but the Fed is the ultimate buyer of last resort at present. We don't know exactly what they're buying. I'm sure somebody will make a comment with specifics under the video, but rest assured, whatever they're saying they're buying, they're buying other stuff too, some way, shape, or form. So if in fact the Fed is somehow keeping the corporate bond market inflated to an extent, here's a weekly chart of the HYG, which represents the high yield corporate debt market. So this would be the riskier part of the corporate debt market. Looks a lot like the stock market. The risk puts it in a category where it trades a lot like the stock market. Gets up into these moving averages here and it's likely a stone cold short, but that's another story. But here's the point. We know the economy is impacted. What we don't know is what the extent of the impact is going to be over the next, let's just say, 6 to 12 months in terms of corporations, earnings, corporate debt, debt repayments, refinancing. So the strong will obviously be fine. The weak hands are the ones that are going to get shaken out. The weak hands are the ones you have to watch out for. They're the ones that are going to drag the corporate debt market down. The question is, can the Fed be the buyer of everything? And the answer is, no, they can't. Now we turn our attention to TLT. TLT represents the longer term 20 to 30 year treasury market. Now we don't have a monthly reversal candle on this chart, but we sure do have a weekly reversal candle. So we have something to trade against. The higher they climb up this weekly reversal candle, the easier the trade becomes. You short the TLT or you buy TBT and any close above the high of this weekly candle and the trade is over, it was wrong. Right now, the Fed is artificially holding up the entire market. We all know that. They can't do it forever. The corporate bond market, the treasury market, the yields will rise, the bond prices will go lower, and there will be defaults not just in the energy space, but across the entire corporate debt market. It's just a matter of when and where and how much. Look at the retail space. How's Macy's not going to default at some point, file Chapter 11, go out of business, reorganize? How is that not going to happen? Bed Bath & Beyond, another one. It's not ready yet, may take a while, but ultimately, it's zero. Another one, Michael's Companies, many stores, it's zero. 
What's the impact of this? Unemployment. Again, people are going to be put out of work even if they do go back after all this closure is done and they reopen the country. Some of these stores are not coming back. And even the ones that do, they'll come back, but ultimately they're not going to be able to sustain long term because their balance sheet aren't healthy enough. They don't have enough capital to withstand a downturn. That's the reality. Marathon Oil, here's another candidate. What do their bonds look like? GE, another self-liquidating company. We've talked about this one in the past. They'll sell more divisions off, but in the process, people lose their jobs. It's impactful to the economy. When they lose their jobs, they can't spend. Look what's going on right now. The government became the spender of last resort. It can't go on forever. So that was a soapbox. How does it relate to the stock market? Well, I'll say this. Doesn't mean the market can't go up in the short term, but there's another leg down coming. That's the point that we want to get across. The market can go in both directions. Knowing all the stuff that we just discussed doesn't mean the market can't go up tomorrow, next week, for another month. It can. These things take time to metastasize. The Fed is holding up the market. Don't fight the Fed. The Fed can't do it forever. You don't know when they'll pull the rug out. All these things come into play, which is why we use the charts, why we use specific numbers, and why inside the numbers members each and every day have my best work at the tip of their fingertips. What's going on down at the transportation department? On its face, it was an ugly day, down 3%, 264 points. But also, when you look at it, you have to notice that from a short-term perspective, we're still in a short-term uptrend until and unless they can really get below this 20 moving average and this pivot low down here. Let me clear this up so you can see. The pivot from the 16th, until and unless they can close below that, which also coincides with the 20-period moving average, until and unless that happens, they're consolidating to make another push higher. There's another way to look at this too. You have a low in place, then you have a higher low, so we have another higher low in this area so far, unless and until they come down like this. But they haven't, so why can't they continue to do this? They can. They do it all the time. How about the IWM, my favorite market-leading indicator? It was down today, but it wasn't as down as much as the S&P 500. There's a gap down below. The gap happens to coincide with... 118, we'll just call it 118 for argument's sake. Just like the transports, it's above the 20 period moving average, which coincides with the same pivot low. So until and unless they get below that stuff, it's okay. It's just going back and forth, eating time off the clock, doing what markets do. They ebb and flow, they go back and forth, they fill gaps below, they fill gaps above. And in a sense, what they're doing is eating time off the clock, building energy to make another move. In this case, since they're trending higher from a short-term perspective, they're trending to make another move higher. That will stay and remain the case until and unless they get below, for example, this pivot low here from the 16th and the 20-period moving average on a daily chart closing basis. The Qs, the folks out in Silicon Valley, they're leading the charge. Look where it is on the daily chart above all the moving averages. So it had a down day. It's not a catastrophic failure. Look how far away they are even from the 100 period moving average, which is the closest 
moving average. So there's nothing technically wrong with this chart. It just went maybe too far too fast, but there's no measurement for that. So all they're doing is having a little bit of a pullback day. Don't have to read any more into that, at least until they get below the 100 period moving average. Until and unless they do, there's nothing wrong with this chart. Tech remains strong. What's this telling you? What it's telling you is they're going to open the country back up pretty soon. Other countries as well. Doesn't have to happen all at once. We know there's a plan. There's a three-phase plan. They're going to have hiccups along the way. They're going to reorganize the plan. They're going to take a step back before they take another step forward. Of course that's going to happen. When all that takes place, the market's going to have hiccups along the way. That's the way it works. Anything new and important that we can draw from on the financial sector and the XLF? No, same routine. They didn't even fill the gap down here. Looks similar, but a little bit different than all the other stuff. We have higher lows. What if I did this? First, I have a low. Then I have a higher low. Then I have a higher low. What if I did this? You have an up move and a pullback. An up move and a pullback. And a move that starts to go up hasn't finished yet. Why can't they go up tomorrow? Why why can't they go up a couple of days from now? They can. I'm not saying they will or they won't. Just that we need to come with no bias. We need to understand the market does what it does. Not what you or me or anybody else wants it to do. About Smash Mouth, which is a pretty good indicator of the tech sector in and of itself. And we're trapped in between a couple and three moving averages. You have the 50 and the 200 below price. You have the 100 above price. At the end of the day, it looks pretty similar to the Qs. Not quite the same. But we don't get any new or important information from today's activity. So what do we do? We just move it along. I went on a couple of tangents. I went on a couple of soapboxes. But my hope and objective is that you got something out of the video in its entirety. Not everybody will get the same thing. But if you pulled something away that you learned something from, then mission accomplished. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you and that without you these videos are not possible? That is true and accurate information. And so with that being said, it's everything I wanted to cover today. So what we're going to do is pull the ripcord and give it a wrap. I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.